All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Adelics? What the fuck, Ricans? What the fuckers? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. You hear that? That is a guitar. What's the point? Why'd I just do that? I will tell you why I just did that, because I got a point. I got a point. Dave Grohl is on the show, but what does that have to do with anything? Why did I pick up my old K guitar, which I bought for $80? It was probably worth $40, and when it was uh, originally a, a guitar uh, for sale at Sears, it was probably uh, it probably cost $10, but I bought it from a guy at a guitar shop, and he restrung it and set it up. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a piece of junk, really. So why am I bringing that up with Dave Grohl? Why am I why am I talking about my shitty K guitar whose strings I never change and just leave as is and occasionally pick up? Why am I doing that? I'll tell you in a second. This is a music heavy show, folks. <laughs> What's the point, Marin? What's the point he just said to himself in the third person? What's the point you're talking like Andy Kindler? I'll tell you the point is I interviewed Dave Grohl at his studio where they're uh, busy uh, working on uh, a concert to support this, um, this movie that he has out, the uh, Sound City movie. It's a documentary. No, look, I've been trying to get Dave Grohl on the show for about a year and a half ever since we first started to kind of toy with the idea of uh, having musicians on the show. And it never happened. It, we went back and forth. We had dates scheduled and they didn't happen. So now Dave is talking a lot to a lot of people about this movie, Sound City. And I was a little nervous about that because I don't really like to do junket shows. I don't like to do, sometimes I get caught off guard. I'll have a guest on and lo and behold, they're on every show. They're on every other show and nothing you can do about that. That's showbiz. But uh, so when we got the opportunity to, to go talk to Grohl and they sent me a link to this movie. I'm like, well, you know what? I don't know Grohl that well. I loved uh, Nirvana. I like, uh, you know, the Foo Fighters well enough. Uh, he always seemed like a comic friendly guy, which is why I wanted to have him on the show. I didn't want to get into one of those situations where you go and you just talk to him about Nirvana. But so they send a link to this movie, this documentary that he directed called Sound City. And it fucking blew my mind. It was it was I was laughing. I was crying. I was so engaged because it's caught me at a good point. You know, I seem to be at that age where I'm getting a little nostalgic, though I've always been somebody who has gravitated to uh, towards authenticity of any kind. I, I, want, I want things to be, to be real, to have some integrity to them, which is why I picked up that weird little guitar and played my shitty blues for you, is that I bought this guitar, and the agreement I have with this guitar is that you only play that music on it. You don't really change the strings. You try to keep it in tune, but don't expect anything to come out of that other than uh, crappy acoustic blues music because that's what it sounds best doing. It's not a studio guitar. I'm not a professional musician, but I believe this guitar is magic if you play blues through it. Now, magic stuff, look, everybody's looking for that. 
everybody like what do you think this vinyl craze is about we want something real we want something organic we want something that's connected to something that turns and moves through circuits in a way that that has some integrity to it it's like jeans it's like shoes i do the same thing with everything how does something become magic well either either the vessel that that is magic actually has magical powers like in the movie this whole movie sound city is is about a recording studio that was you know, around for a long time and then had a huge turn of events happen with the Lind- you know buckingham nicks who later went on to become uh you know the sort of the backbone in a way other than mick fleetwood of fleetwood mac and it all happened in and around sound city and sound city had paid you know a bunch of money to get this soundboard this neve soundboard designed by this dude neve hand-built and this thing was fucking magic so after the Fleetwood Mac album rumors and the one before it came out from this studio everything turned around for this studio and then there was an arc and then it crapped out and digital music came along and nobody cared about a magic soundboard that was hand-built and all the wires were were delicately and lovingly placed you know into knobs and into plugs to make the sound but the sound of that board had such integrity that after the whole digital music thing started to take off and arc out, out of nowhere, they were a down and out studio and Nirvana with Dave Grohl trucks down to uh, to LA, to the Valley to record at Sound City and they do Nevermind in there. So to me, what I got out of this movie and, and why it was uh, th- thrilling to, um, to talk to Dave at this point was that he understood, like he was paying homage to the soundboard, to the magic box that that Nevermind came out of. And he had a respect for it. So much respect for it is that when Sound City eventually went under, he bought that board and had it moved piece by piece to his studio and now records through it. And is now bringing some of the artists that originally recorded at Sound City in to do this tour in this record, Sound City. And I found that so endearing and so respectful. And there's such an insight into into uh, to not just gear, but to to the real qualities of sound. And and Sound City apparently was this, was this magical box that no one could understand why it sounded so good. But like after Fleetwood Mac recorded there, all the bands from the '70s and early '80s, you know, just lined up to get in there. The the number of records that were recorded there is astounding. And then after Nirvana blew up, all the all the uh, the bands from the early 90s were like, fuck it, that, that's the magic board. And Dave Grohl has the magic board. And in my mind, it's magic. We're all looking for magic, man. Even in our food, organic, local, keep it raw. Keep it as close to the source as possible. Don't let it get away from you. No more chemicals. No more ones and zeros. We want to see things spinning. We want to see things growing. We want shoes that we can break in ourselves and own for a lifetime. We want a K guitar. We want a filthy little K guitar that I never play. just wanted to to make my uh my appeal for the magic for the organic for the authentic for dave grohl great talk we're going to get into it in a sec okay here's some things to look out for in the interview because we're going to go there now i entered the the studio i hung around a little bit i got there early i have my rig 
my uh, my mics, my magic mics that I use. I'm very specific about the mics I use when I go out there. I use Blue Uncore 200 mics, work off Phantom Power, handheld. Those are the ones I take on the road because I've decided they have the best quality and they're magic. And this garage is magic. I don't know why. I don't know why whatever happened to my life. You know, we talk about the Neve soundboard or, or Dave does and that whole movie is built around the, the sort of magical nature of a box of wires connected to a box that is a room that created some of the best records that we know. Like, I don't know why this garage changed my life. This is a fucking ritual space, man. This is a magic place. It's, it, I, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand why what happens in here happens in here. But I, I, I'm going to have to take it with me wherever I go. I'm going to have to travel with my garage if I ever move to another place. So heading into this, know that when I walked in, the, somebody asked me if I was a journalist, and that was Taylor, the dude who plays drums for the Foo Fighters, but I only knew him as the drummer because you know, I'm not on top of the Foo Fighters that much, so I had that interaction. Then I waited for Dave in the studio, and then he came in, and I was standing at the board. So we're standing at the board talking about the board right out of the gate. And then at the end, and I'm just going to tell you this because you're not going to know it, when you listen to it at the end, when he says, you know, we're working, the, the band is working on a set list because they're going to do this concert with Fogarty, uh, Rick Springfield, Stevie Nicks. Uh, I don't know if Petty's going to be, be involved or what, but all this, uh, all the people that were in the documentary. So they were working on songs and he took me in and I met the band and I saw the, the song list and uh, <laughs> and then I was, I was packing up. They started playing a Credence song and I'm standing there with Dave's manager, one of the management company, uh, this woman, Gabby, and I go, well, I should, I got to turn the, the recorder back on. She goes, don't even think about it. But to hear the Foo Fighters ripping into a fucking Credence number, I think it was the playing with a traveling band, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, pretty fucking uh, exceptional. Yeah. Let's go now to, uh, to Dave Grohl's massive studio where... Uh, where we, we are talking at the soundboard. Also, folks, listen to him talk about Paul McCartney in this. It's because uh, Paul McCartney's in the movie. I mean, just uh, there's a there's a beat in this in this talk where you know where he brings up Paul, and it was it was great. It was uh, all right. Look, just here's Dave Grohl and me. Hey, hey man, how are you? How are you? Good man. What's nice happening? To see you. Nice to see you, Dave Grohl. Look at that board. This is it. That's it right there. This is the uh, this is the magic the magic altar. That's it. It's all built around this now. Look over here. Okay. Did you see all the people that have signed it? No. Okay, so in 1996, Carl Perkins, when this board was still at Sound City, Carl Perkins signed it. And uh, he said, wow, what a great sound. Thanks a lot, Carl Perkins. So when we moved the board over here and we recorded all the stuff for the Sound City record, I had everybody sign it. Like Fogarty, and look at how cute Stevie Nicks put little oh. hearts next to her thing. She's always going to be Petty. There. Got Benmont. You got Paul. But look at this dude. A Neve board. Paul McCartney signed by Rupert Neve. Come on. That was a good part of the movie, man. That dude just sitting there talking about this. Those are the wizards. But so this is magic, right? Oh yeah. That's your belief. For and sure. It's for real. All I mean, of those albums wouldn't have sounded like those albums had it not been for this board. This board was at Sound 
This city. board is at Sound City. And you moved it over. But, like, you know, you got me at a, a good time to have this talk because I'm all about vinyl right now. Oh, good. I don't know what the fuck happened to me. Well, but, like, what were the albums? Like, first, okay. it, it all started with Buckingham Knicks in right. terms of the modern sound. Did and you see the movie? I did. Okay, good. So, before this board was in Sound City, they had another piece of equipment that wasn't considered state of the art. Right. So, this was state of the art recording equipment in 1973. The thing that's different about this board is it was custom-ordered by the producer Keith Olsen, who was right. the house engineer at Sound City in 72, 73. So, so what you would do is you would order a board, and they would build it to spec, you know. And so this, um, this series of board, there aren't too many of them, but this one is the only one uh, like it because... Um, because of this monitor section right. uh, that a lot of people consider to be the best monitor section of an Eve board ever. So a lot of bands... Okay, so what bands will do is they'll record their album uh, through a desk, and then they'll take it somewhere else to mix it. Right. This board, uh, you'd record through here, yeah. and then you would make sort of rough mixes on this monitor right side. Right on the monitor. And side. you could never beat the sound of this monitor section anywhere else. So and, you, it, it, it goes all the tape. Yeah, to tape. Imagine this. Yeah. It's almost like playing telephone with someone. Sure. So, say you're playing telephone with a group of 10 people. By the, You whisper in their ear. They with the Foo Fighters ear. in that room. Yeah, in that room. <laughs> By the time it comes back around, yeah. it's something completely different than what it started out sure. to be. Sure. It's sort of the same thing with Signal Path. Okay. Okay. So, say you have a sound going into a microphone. It comes through the cable. Yeah. If it's got six miles of cable to go through before it's it hits get your tired. Ear, Something's going to happen to it that is exactly worn out. It's a long way. (laughs) So the great thing about a board like this is it's a very simple piece of equipment. Right. There's it's it's less distance between the mic and the sound. Right. And there's there's fewer things that it has to go through, so it's it's more pure. In a very, in a very um, technically retarded way. Sure. Yes. Okay. All right. Let's go plug in real mics. So here's what happens, man. I get hung up on uh, on on my albums. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, I got 300 records. I don't play them anymore. And I thought I had good equipment. So then I get hung up on tubes. I go buy a tube thing. <laughs> yeah. I went, I interviewed Jack White, you know, and he yeah. had a wall of Macintosh amps. I'm thinking oh, like, yeah. well, he's got a wall of those. How, how I could probably afford one. Wrong. So I go shop for Macintosh. It's like $12,000. I can't find it. It's shit. fucking crazy. I mean, yeah. if you don't have that kind of money to drop, I mean, you buy one of those, you're never going to enjoy it because you're going to sit around thinking, like, does this sound like $12,000? You can still enjoy music through an AM radio. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Tom Waits once said, what's his favorite music? And he said an AM radio across the street. You know what we used to do is we used to keep a little AM radio on in the corner of the room as we were recording just so that you had some sort of sonic perspective. Like, you're listening to music, you're recording through these $100,000 speakers on the -the state-of-the-art equipment, and then you, you hit stop, and there's... You know Barry Manilow on the AM sure. radio. Remember how and some people are going to hear this. Yeah, and your ears go back to normal. You right, know? right, like, right. Oh, that's that's what right. really sounds like. Right. Know? So okay. So I've been buying all these old. I've been buying records that I grew up with. That I haven't had. You, you know, like Zeppelin. Yeah. Uh, ZZ Top. Right. Because we're about the same age, give or take a few yeah. years. So we grew up with that shit. Sure. And I'd never heard it through that equipment before. How to sound? 
Well, it sounds amazing. It sounds weird. It sounds well. It's like it's not what I'm used to. It's not listening to the radio. It's not listening to the shitty stereo I had right. when I was a kid. Everything separated. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is this is funny because yeah. I sort of did the same thing for my daughter like about yeah. two months ago. Yeah. I got the Beatles box set. I, I bought that too. It's amazing. Right. It's seventy five pounds, dude. Right. It's like right. a, it's like a suitcase. It's, it means something. And so it's amazing. So I bring it. I bring it home and my daughter who already loves the Beatles she's six I bring it home and she looks at it and she goes what is that yeah and I go boo this is the this is the Beatles this is all the Beatles records yeah she's like oh and I open it up and I hand her an album now she'd seen records before right but she never had any of her own right so I said okay come on in I got the turntable out of the garage I put it in her room I set it up I said here's how you do it Take the record out of the sleeve and you put the hole in this thing, put that down the arm, go, you gotta be gentle, turn this on, hit this power. And she's six. She's six. Yeah. Dude, I left, I walked out of the room. An hour later, she had all the records on the floor. She had listened to them all. It's the same thing, dude. She yeah. was looking at the liner notes. Right, yeah, she was yeah. dancing. At she the was pictures. It was unbelievable. But I had that weird buzz that yeah. turntables get because I wasn't grounded. Yeah. And I sat there trying to figure out like fucking how to ground yeah, yeah, it because yeah, yeah. it was impossible right and then i i was like well fuck it that's what it sounded like when i was a kid <laughs> that's the what thing she gets. exactly yeah. like i'm not gonna give her like the audio file yeah, version yeah. let her learn that... don't get hung up on it right yeah this is would it be dirty it's the same thing it still does if you went to her bedroom right now and turn on the record player it was like Gzzz. i yeah. woke her up this morning she's lying in bed i woke her up by like creeping into her room and i i started i uh, here comes the sun. Oh. That's how I woke her up today. Yeah. And, but it's going like. Well, I, I, you know, like I'm listening to these things, so I can. I've got it in my head because I had this moment where, I, like, like we're saying, like I'd never heard it through good equipment. I've never heard it through the way it was uh, supposed to be laid down. But the weird sequence of events that led up to me being here that's that's kind of fucking with my head is that I'm kind of hung up on Peter Green right now. Right. Like uh, yeah. I saw. I, I've always liked that original Fleetwood Mac, yeah. and then like. Uh, and then you get into the Peter Green story, and I just yeah. saw this BBC documentary about him. Whoa. I, you, you haven't seen it? I haven't seen it. you got to see it. Is it nuts? Well, it's nuts because I, I'm going to end up talking too much here. But, um, Go for it. But do you, he's a great guitar player. Sure. I mean, I mean, he's probably better than the most of the blues British guys. Okay. Yeah, let's be specific. I, I'm not a Clapton guy. So I think that you know he replaced Clapton in that original Fleetwood Mac. Right. and made them what they were. Out of the Whatever. So he loses his mind on acid. Uh, like they're, they they all join like a cult or something like that. Well, it was it was unclear that you got to see this. I'll send you the link to it. It's like an hour. It's from the BBC. Wow. So you got Mick Fleetwood, who you talked to in your movie. Yeah, who's a you know a pretty great guy. Sure, you got McV, and it was one of these weird moments where you know they were taken off. You know they you know he yeah. had a hit with Albatross in, in mm -hmm. England, and they go to Munich, and they'd all tried acid when they were in in San Francisco, no big deal. But they go, they both of them and Jeremy uh, Spencer mm -hmm. all track it back to this one gig in Munich. Peter Green gets off the plane. He's met by these weird kind of hipstery, rich-looking people. Germans. They go to a party. Yeah, Germans. Yeah. And they all end up at this party at this mansion. And Peter Green and, and Kerwin, the other guitar player, I don't remember his first name, they drop acid and end up going to jam downstairs. And all of them, like, you know, like anyone who was there said, there was a sound coming out of the basement. That was it wasn't right, <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. And they were like, we wouldn't even go down there. This is a road manager. Awesome. And then they said they saw Spencer and and Green, and their faces were kind of fucked up with oh, almost no. yeah. Oh. And they and Fleetwood and McVie said, you know, since that day, that was the end of him. That was it. And the beginning he, of the end. Well, right. And then he sort of spent. He was in and out of institutions for ten years, yeah. and now he's like out. 
Wait, this is in the movie, everything you just said? Yeah. Oh, my in God. In the documentary. And so wow. I just, well, I'm just telling you as a friend here that, you, you know, now he's out. Like someone, a biographer chased him down wow. and wanted to ride on him. And, and he was on all this medicine, and his family had pulled him out of the institution because it didn't look like it was helping. So he's, now he's like 60, he's fat, and right. he's almost got a Buddha-ish kind of thing. And this, this biographer said, maybe you shouldn't take the medicine. And he stopped taking the medicine, and he became lucid again. There you go. But see, the interesting thing about it to me in, in dealing with who you came up with and, and what you've been through in rock and roll was that in, in this documentary, they asked this old Peter Green, it's like, well, what about that night in Munich? And all he had to say was like, yeah, we sounded pretty good. It was, it, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. We got some good sounds, you know. It's like, it doesn't resonate. You know, maybe that was his big musical moment yeah, in life. Right. Everybody has one. Right. The, his every, may have come a little later. Well, everybody saw that as the end for him. But in his mind, <laughs> Dude, like, it was yeah, just the beginning. Oh, we were man. fucking out there, That's man. That's amazing. But so, needless to say, I ended up listening to rumors three right. times for no fucking reason. Then I watched a documentary of your, your movie last night, yeah. and it all starts there. Well, with okay. that board, anyways. With kinda. that board. So the first thing recorded on that board was the Buckingham Next record. Right. And um, Stevie and Lindsay recorded on it and made the album, which is a really cool record, yeah. but it didn't take off, and they got right. dropped. Right. So they were hanging around Sound City, and Mick Fleetwood was looking for a place to make the next Fleetwood Mac record. So he comes in, he says to Keith Olsen, play me some that was recorded here yeah and he plays him the song i guess it was frozen love right and uh and he's it was really into it like wow board sounds great room sounds great yeah uh i'm gonna make the next fleetwood mac record here and i think he just said hello to, the, to stevie and Lindsay in passing and then a couple weeks later they needed a new guitar player because peter boom. green was out and so he called keith olsen and said hey what about that guitar guy and Keith said well you're never gonna get him unless you take his chick too yeah yeah of course so and yeah. that was and i mean and that you know, turned into a disaster didn't it well i mean, can you imagine like i th this is the thing and that record i mean yeah. that record not rumors the one before the one before it, yeah, the first yeah. one was just called fleetwood mac the yeah. first one was stevie and Lindsay. Yeah. if you listen to it it's such a great example of uh uh, a multi-dimensional, emotionally dimensional band. Right. So you've got Christy McVie, man. Like, oh, I swear to God, I think she, yeah. she had such a beautiful voice, and yeah. her songs just were just, her songs were just like yeah. pretty. They were like anesthesia. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah, yeah. It just yeah. made you feel so yeah. relaxed and beautiful, and um, and then you know Mick Fleetwood. The greatest thing is that Mick Fleetwood, I think, was in charge. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine yeah, like yeah, that yeah. dude being in charge of your band? <laughs> yeah, and um. And but the personalities were just all so different and yeah. crazy that it made for an album that had so much depth. It yeah. was like a musical seven layer burrito, you know. And that, like and so that much console, that Neve console, and is, that Neve console is what went through it, right? And and that harnessed all that emotion. And then and that that and rumors, I guess, started the role for that thing, right? Or the first Fleetwood Mac. Well, album. it was the first Fleetwood Mac record, and I mean that's what. Okay, so Sound City, before this Neve and before that And I guess album, I should make it clear that this is the documentary you made. Yeah, Sound City. it's called Sound City. But it's great, dude. Well, thank you. And I don't, you know, I don't, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I like rock and roll, but, you know, I'm a movie, I watch movies, but I was moved, I was laughing. Oh, good. I was laughing. Right on. Because I was excited. I don't even know what to think of it anymore, because I... You, no, know, you, know, you know when it's like you. when you when you make dinner by yourself, it's yeah. never as good as if someone else made it for you. It just right. isn't because yeah, you know but, what's in it but the and moment, you know how it was made right. and you think you could have done it differently right. and you eat it and everyone's like, oh my God, this is delicious. You're like, really? Because yeah, I guess Well, it, it starts as this weird, like, you know, the, the beautiful thing about the movie is it, you know, it starts as obviously the Nirvana chapter of Sound City was in the second, you know, you guys started yeah. the second 
sort of wave of what it was right. about. So the movie is really about this this uh, this recording studio and these guys who started it. Yes, and it's a documentary. But then, like you know, once you enter the picture uh, in in a personal way, it really becomes about your journey. Yeah, and then sort of you sort of taking that board and realizing like this thing has to remain magic. And well, I here's to- the thing: is that I think a lot of people don't get the opportunity to understand or appreciate everything that is behind all of those albums that you listen to. Right. You know, when you listen to uh, Nevermind by Nirvana or Rick Springfield Records or Metallica Petty, Records the third, or Petty, uh, the, Damn the Torpedoes, the torpedoes. when you listen to those records, Dio. Dio, Holy Diver, when you listen to those records, you never really take these things into consideration, like the board or the room or the family that owns the studio or the stories behind the people that the made producer. the record or the producer or that because you just you get the album and you look at the picture and you read the liner notes and you hear the song and that is rewarding enough but the thing about music is that that i love are those stories and that it's entirely human it's yeah it's so the magic so when the, i say yeah. that the sound city movie is about the human element yeah. of music it's yeah. not just the human element of performance right or the human element of production it's the human element of everything it's the story between the people the fleetwood mac story is amazing because well, yeah, it's like when rumors it's happens. like the stars align yeah. yeah and that band came together and then the in rumors it with, exploded with Nevermind. yeah we were three shitty fucking dirt bags in a van we had 16 days and no money yeah but we managed to get to sound city with that board in that room and make never mind had we not made it with that board in that room uh, we might not be talking right now you it might have imagine if we made it at like you know some valley studio with some fancy ssl yeah, and all yeah. this fancy ass digital yeah. shit it wouldn't have sounded like nirvana right so who kn- i wouldn't be here if it weren't for that fucking board so that's why i made the movie yeah. i made the movie because there aren't too many moments in life that you're reunited with something as special as that. Like, yeah. I honestly feel like that board is responsible <laughs> for the person who I am today. It's fucking huge. Some people might look at it like, what is this, is this stereo? Yeah. Is this just a bunch <laughs> of metal and what wires and buttons? shit? But the thing is, is that the metal and wires in that piece of equipment are responsible for all of those records. You know, those people wrote those songs. Are you a speedwagon? Dude, Roll come with on. with the changes, man. You can't tune yeah. a piano, but you can tune a fish, whatever the fuck it was. So, um, yeah, I mean, so to me, it's the it's that, it's the human, and that thing's hand-fucking-made. Someone fucking put a screwdriver to screws and fucking hand-wired that board. That thing is handmade, man. And so there's something beautiful about that. There's something beautiful about like the craft and the tangibility of that concept. Like, wow, this entire, you know, because I think the kids need to understand that it's okay to buy a guitar at a fucking yard sale, take it into your garage, invite your neighbor down the street to beat the shit out of some pots and pans, write a song, yeah. sound like fucking shit, yeah. and then become the biggest band in the world. As opposed to do it by yourself with made-up instruments on a computer. Or yeah. walk and stand in line for eight hours at a convention center yeah. to be on a fucking TV show where a judge hears you sing for 30 seconds and says, you know what, you're not good enough. Yeah, fuck them. I mean, honestly, like it's. I honestly believe that that if if the next generation of musicians doesn't understand that it's entirely acceptable 
to do it your own way and to sound like shit and to try to fucking do it better and to do it and with, to do other, it with people. other people right. that that's rewarding in itself. Yeah, you just don't have to, to be the biggest fucking band in the world, right. but you can get off playing fucking cheap trick songs in your garage yeah. with your fucking neighbor. And yeah, with that's, a few other dudes and just fucking knock right. it out. And it's so, community, I mean, communal that's thing. what the Sound City movie is about. And that's why in telling the story of, this, of the movie, and the movie in telling the story of Sound City, it's it's chronological. You know, it begins with the origin of the studio. It goes through these records. But in talking about things chronologically, you have to talk about technology because of the way it affected Sound City. That was state of the art in 1973. That was not state of the art in 1985. By 1985, that board was considered obsolete, and people well, that didn't want to go there. Well, anymore. that was the interesting thing about the uh, about the movie is the you know the the, the engineer sort of went next door and built the, the high-tech Keith studio. Olson, yeah. Keith Olsen, And then all of a sudden, this becomes this relic, and Sound City starts to, you know, just deplete. You know, they're, it's right. gone. Right, because people got away from what that represented, which I think is a musical truth. Because when you fucking plug in and play on that board, there's nowhere to hide. Truth and magic. It's Of course, it's totally <laughs> magic. But there's nowhere to hide. You pl- If you put a fucking microphone up to your face yeah. and sing through it, yeah. you know what it's going to come out of that board sounding like? Exactly you like you. You with the microphone and you fucking face so you better be good well i like the whole subtext and not even such a subtext of like where high-tech production went it, it just yeah. it, there was is a double-edged sword it sort of sucked the soul out of what you're talking about organic sounding music and community but then you had to sort of you you like you had to pull trent reznor in there to sort of say like look man the technology can be pretty cool if you yeah. if you stay connected to it well that's the thing is that in talking about technology, yeah. you know, you can't blame the computer for what the producer does. You can't do that. What the computer does is basically kind of what any of this shit will do. Yeah. Now, let me preface this by saying that sonically, I'm fucking deaf, dude. Yeah. I've been playing 125 decibel music for 25 years. So you could A, B, a digital recording versus an analog recording. Yeah. You know what it sounds like to me? Yeah. Whee! <laughs> Tinnitus. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. so do you have a so higher set of ears to hear for you? Oh, I, yeah, exactly. I've got tons <laughs> Where's of Where's the ear guy? Where are my ears? Bring me my fucking ears. Um, no, but, you know, so that that uh, debate conversation sure. is kind of out the window for me. But, um, but you can retain the human element of a performer's performance with with any of this equipment. You could use that computer and set someone up with one microphone and get some heartfelt shit. Yeah. But, you know, the and the accessibility of a computer, what what technology has done for musicians is, God damn it, I wish I could have. I wish that I had all of the uh, the power and accessibility of a computer when I was young, because my punk rock bands, when we would go, I dropped out of high school and I jumped in a van. I started touring. But what was it like? we would go on the road and no one would have our record because we were fucking hand stuffing those sleeves sure, sure. and selling them out of the back of the and van. And having some guy you know, do the art for you. And yeah. Then... And so it was like, I couldn't get some kid in Norway, yeah. my fucking single that right. I made with my friends, unless I stuffed it in a fucking mailed package and mailed it to him. Yeah. It took two weeks. Figured now out how much it's it a fucking up. click of a button. Yeah. Well, you that the the distribution the element is, is, is also it's like, unbelievable. it's great, but it's sort of the same thing um, with recording though, because now, a kid can get a recording program and a computer and a couple microphones and record his band in his living room but what i'm trying to explain in sound city is that the the magic moments that are made 
musically happen when a performer embraces and accepts yeah. their human element, which right. I consider to be like the imperfections. Right. And well, the per- yeah. that's the personality of playing. And also I think innately when, when somebody a- approaches a computer to make a song and, and can correct the tone and, and can manufacture sounds, that it, it feeds the insecurity of the artist. That it, somebody yeah. might not be a, feel confident. Maybe, so they're yeah. like, I can do this and make it feel perfectly, but that the integrity of that is limited. Oh, dude, it, I mean, you know what happens now is yeah. people walk into the studio and they do two takes and they go, yeah, just, just throw it in the tools. <laughs> <laughs> like the second Foo Fighters record, which was made when Pro Tools was available. Yeah. We did it with this producer named Gil Norton, and an uh, English dude who made all the Pixies records. He's great. Yeah. He had me doing fucking guitar takes, like 40 fucking takes in a row to get it perfect. No Pro it, to Tools. To the point, no, it's Fuck a it. tape. And he, yeah. and dude, or I played drums on that record too. And I'm like, oh, this will be a cinch. Yeah. No. From fucking noon to midnight. On yeah. one song. Right. I looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger by the end of that. I, I was just like, and I told him, like, what are you fucking hearing that I'm not hearing, dude? <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> I can't remember. It's something that I didn't agree with, probably. Yeah, right, right. But, um, you know, you can... You but, can do. You, you can work to make it sound. Right, but what you just said is that you know, even in the process, if you do that process, if you follow the organic process, there's going to be an arc of emotion that that's yeah. going to happen by, by being driven by a producer who's like, no, and you're like, fuck you. You're like, use that. Well, there's some sort of like honor or dignity in like right. fucking like yeah, yeah, being yeah. badass. Yeah, you know. But yeah. at the same time, accepting the way you sound. Like when someone calls me to play drums on a record, I know. You mean they everybody? Call me. Well. <laughs> <laughs> when, when everyone calls me to play drums on the record, if I have time. Because you know what? You know why they call me? Because they want me to sound like me. Which well, one is thing I noticed great because I don't thing, get called to sound like the dude from Rush. No, you're not a studio guy. You're that. Dave Grohl. Right. So yeah. I go in the and I go, dude from Rush. Rush. <laughs> That's dude, what they want. The dude from Rush. Whatever. Where's your gong? <laughs> yeah. You didn't bring the gong? <laughs> So that's the thing is I go in knowing like, okay, I'll just play like me and it's not fucking, I'm not the best drummer and I'm not the dude from Rush. You know, I'm not the but best you know drummer you, in the world. But when you watch you drum, you're sort of like, you know, you're like, it, it's almost like you're connect, you're like driving something. I don't give a fuck, dude. You like, just want to rock? I just want to fucking go off. Yeah. <laughs> honestly. Like that's it how always I play. Like that? Yes. You know how I learned how to play the drums? What? I didn't have a drum set. Right. I had records. Yeah. And I had a pair of drumsticks that were marching sticks that I stole from a friend of mine. Big fucking They're trees. Fucking huge, dude. Yeah. They're enormous. Bottom like, size. Baseball bats. Yeah. And I set up pillows on the floor. Yeah. I'd sit on my knees on the floor. There's a pillow in front of me. Yeah. And I'd set up next to my bed. So my bed was like there were like the toms. There right. Was a sure. chair here that was a hi hat. Yeah. And I would listen to fucking Bad Brains records, or I'd listen to the Ramones, or I'd listen to DRI, or like really fast punk rock shit. Yeah. So because those sticks were so fat. And because those pillows had no like play to them at all, right. and because I was playing yeah. the fastest punk rock ever, yeah. every time I got onto a drum set, I would break everything. Because you because had to pound. It was the like pillows. running with like yeah, yeah, weights yeah. on your yeah. legs, you know. Yeah, yeah. So when I actually sat down at an actual drum set, yeah. so that's the only way I really know how to play the drums. <laughs> and uh, so no one's going. We want the subtle growl sound. Yeah, I'm not getting asked to make jazz records. <laughs> you know what I mean? So so that was it. But guitar was the first instrument that you played. Guitar was the first instrument, and that. And that's where the whole Beatles thing came from because I got one of those old silver tone guitars with the amp in the case. 
Oh, that, yeah, what, at a garage sale? I mean, those were long. Those no, were my mother was an English teacher, and there was another teacher at school that was selling hers. But that was already 40 years old by yeah, the time you was, were a kid. Yeah, like a 62 or a 63. Right, it had, you opened the top, and the thing, you pulled the guitar out. And yeah, it, and the guitar is that really cool black and white. Yeah, yeah, and the, and the, and the case was like heavy, made of wood. Well, yeah, the case was right. heavy because there was a speaker and yeah, an yeah, amp yeah. in there. And so, but the guitar was made of like balsa wood. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was so like so thin. Cheap. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, um... Yeah, so um, so I got the guitar and the Beatles' complete anthology songbook oh, at yeah, the yeah, same time yeah, yeah, with yeah. the chord charts because I it can't read Lennon music. McCartney on the fr- cover. Well, this or... one was black. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, and so or blue maybe. Yeah. But then I had that, and I had the two greatest hits: the early years and the later years. The blue and the Beatles red. and the red one. Yeah. So I would just sit around and fucking play along to those, and that's how I learned how to play guitar, and that's how I started understanding composition, like. Oh yeah, this is the this is the verse. And oh, this is the chorus. And that's where you got all those pop chords. And that's where a lot of the chords came from. And I just and that's I didn't really have a teacher to play drums or to fuck. So you were just do dealing that. with the fret diagrams. And you Yeah, were just those rep- things, those yeah. little chord chart things. That's enough, dude, you know? Like I don't want to fucking go to school. I hate school, you know? So when you were a kid though, like, you know, what what was the situation? How did you get turned on to music? What'd your what'd your family? What's My your... father is a classically trained flautist. And so he's like he's, Were you close to he's him? the smarty Yeah. Yeah. He's the smarty pants with perfect pitch and the whole deal. My mother was But did in... you go to classical performances and stuff when you What do you fucking think? Of dude? course, man. <laughs> no, I didn't know. Come on. No. Why don't you? No. Well, okay, when I was young, we had music class. Yeah. I played the trombone. You played a trombone? In school, yeah. <laughs> it was hard. Yeah. Heavy, dude. I had to walk to school. It like, how old balls. were you? Like, nine? Fucking, or... yeah, set eight, So you're, seven. you were the guy with the case, drag. My friend Larry case. played the tuba, and he lived even farther the away than me. tuba. Fucking poor Larry. But you, so you never went to, like, because like, in terms of, like, sound... Like, I imagine classical music at that age would have been mind-blowing, but you just avoided it? Well, you know, the music, like we were talking about AM radio, the yeah. music that really got into my head at first was AM radio in the car. So this is mid-70s. Early, mid-70s, so you're talking so, Andy Gibb, Gary Stewart. Talking Andrew Gold and Phoebe Snow right, and right. Helen Reddy and Carly Simon and 10CC. Like I remember, all that AM Gold shit. Man. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And like I remember Dreamweaver on oh, AM yeah, for some dude. reason. Like, and, uh, and Shadow Dancing by Andy Gibb and then all those other. Yeah, those yeah. ones you're talking Cause those, about. I mean, honestly, and that was. Uh, Baker Street. Baker, George, uh, Jerry <laughs> Rafferty. Dude, right down the line. Yeah. Jerry Rafferty's a genius. Um, I mean, that shit, like that. Baker Street was haunting. See, dude. there's something about there's something about that era yeah. too of music yeah. where um, you had all of these incredibly uh, gifted songwriters who were really proficient in their playing. So someone like Andrew Gold, or even like you know like the Eagles oh, yeah, or yeah, Linda yeah. Ronstadt's right. band before they were sure. the Eagles. So yeah. they were like all great players. Andrew Gold, dude, I swear to God, not a lot of people. Andrew Gold was the one that sang "Lonely Boy." He sang "Thank You for oh, Being a Friend," and yeah. he sang the song called uh, "Never Let Her Slip Away." Yeah, dude, this song was not a huge hit in America. Yeah, is the most beautiful piece of music ever written. The keyboard sound is a little bit like sort of maybe like so you might call it cheesy. Yeah, it's not cool yeah. anymore. Yeah, won't you cover melodically? It? Won't you cover it? It is so. Uh, we're going to just so you know <laughs> just so you know i'm just i'll say it right now i have this idea for a single nobody's allowed to fucking take it it's yeah. called solid gold okay it's a seven inch single yeah lonely boy on one side 
Never Let Her Slip Away on the other. Two Andrew Gold songs. Uh-huh. Gold vinyl. Uh-huh. Just a fucking gold uh, you can do it with cover. The Fighters? Yeah, we talked about doing it recently, but we had to wait. We're going to do it, Gold dude. still alive? I'm sure he'd no, be happy. No, he uh, passed away recently. Yeah, family be happy. But dude, yeah. Never Let Her Slip Away yeah. is maybe one of the most melodically sophisticated songs I've ever heard in my entire life. You have to hear it. It'll blow your fucking mind. Okay. It'll blow your I'm mind. I'm sure. I, I feel like I must have heard it. You might like, not have because I never had. I was like, and I love Andrew Gold. And I, I heard it and I was like, it was this was about a year and a half ago. Yeah. I mean, it was like an epiphany. It was like a mind blowing, life changing experience that I heard this one song. Like, how come I've never heard this before? We might not it's, have been old enough to hear it. You might have heard it. I, I don't, yeah. Do but I don't think it was huge in America. I think it might have done well but in Do you ever England. notice that about music where you, you, like, as you get older, some of the songs that you thought were shit or cheesy or whatever are sort of like, oh my God. This is fucking Now you sweet. love them? Yeah, or, or just you, un, you, you, like, I don't get Steely Or you didn't man. appreciate it at the time. I'm not, bi- I'm not a big enough man or a nerdy enough dude You're to You're not understand. smart enough, just say it. I'm not smart enough yeah, to understand you gotta be Steely. smart to understand Steely Dan. Yeah, I'm still like, you know, I can understand some <laughs> That's jazz joke, and shit. by the way. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I, it's an active fight I have going with Dude, myself. Dude, have you heard the new Bowie song? No. <gasps> yeah? Oh. Come, really? Yeah. Seriously? It just came out yesterday. When like yesterday, that, no, yeah. like, no big run up to it. It was like, oh, new Bowie song. What, like, what's the Tony Visconti like? produced it. it oh, is, like old timey Bowie. It is, Visconti is a big guy, right? Oh, yeah. All the, uh, it's all, the song's about Berlin. Ah. Uh, and it's the it's heartbreaking, dude. Really? Yeah. Like, like heroes heartbreaking? More. Come on. I was playing it and our drummer Taylor said, dude, is he going to die? <laughs> I'm not kidding. You have to hear it. It's fucking the most beautiful thing you've ever heard in your entire People life. People have been saying that about the last four Dylan albums. So I, I, oh, I tell them not to. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. Well, it's something about artists who have a, a, a distinct voice. When they see that light at the end of the, when they see the tunnel, you know, the, the, the intensity of it, yeah. if they can capture it, is pretty. You got to hear it. Deep. It's mind blowing. But I mean, that's the now. thing is like, you know, um, there, yeah, there's. I think the, the whole disco sucks era. Yeah. Disco sucks. Yeah, disco yeah. sucks. It's well, that's when you taking the life out of music. Up, really. It's not real. It's disco sucks. And yeah, I mean, I didn't listen to disco. I was listening to that other shit. To the punk but I listen rock, to disco though, right? now and I'm like, well, wait, what's wrong with disco? It's yeah. fu- I put it on in the morning when yeah. I'm making breakfast and the kids dance and I fucking, those yeah. drummers were amazing. Yeah. There's the a, disco drummers were fucking amazing. Like, I got to be honest, man. Occasionally I'll listen to uh, uh, Don't Leave Me This Way. You got to, dude. Yeah, you know, Disco's great. That bass line and What's don't leave me this way. What's wrong with disco? Yeah, that bass line. It's, uh, yeah. First of all, and also, I don't believe in guilty pleasures. If you fucking like something, like it. That's the problem with our generation is that residual punk rock guilt. Like, well, you're not supposed to like that. That's not fucking cool. Yeah. That's not fucking cool. You're not supposed to do that. Yeah. When I was young, it's like, dude, I listened to... When I was young and I brought 2112 home from my cousin's house in third grade... I was afraid to play it for anybody for two reasons. One, because I didn't want them thinking I liked a band that singers the, the singer's voice sounded like that. Yeah. And also, remember that picture where they're wearing like white kimonos? Yeah, the one right. dude has like the craziest man camel toe. Yeah, like you yeah, could see yeah. one of his nuts on yeah, each yeah. side of the seam and his white satin pants, you know? <laughs> Nothing cool about Rush, really. <laughs> but there is. And right. I should have been able to fucking stand there in you third grade and said, This is my, it? this is who I am. Fuck you. <laughs> Because that's what it's all about. And I think yeah. that people should be able to say a- that. Like, don't fucking think it's not cool to like Britney Spears toxic. It yeah. is cool to like Britney Spears toxic. <laughs> Why the fuck not? Fuck you. That's who I am. God damn it. So that whole guilty pleasure thing is like, 
full of fucking yeah, but, shit. But, some, but sometimes that turns into that's who I am now. I'm not sure what's going to happen in three years. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah, I don't worship the devil anymore. Yeah, yeah, not, so I still listen to Slayer. I'm not I'm, so happy I was that guy then. I just want to apologize. Yeah, for I'm that. not as satanic as but I used to be. I was excited. But that's. I mean, that, I think that's that's a that's an important part of appreciating music is realizing that you're allowed to like anything yeah you're allowed to like any music but so you start with the beatles learning guitar and then you just like you know went straight into like you know, punk rock bands for years i mean yeah well did- i mean it kind of went from you know my first love was yeah. edgar winters frankenstein uh, yeah and it was it's an instrumental yeah yeah and that was my first favorite song. That's really? where I realized, like, very catchy, oh, huh? my God, I love music. That was that. Yeah. Was that song. Yeah. Then it got into the Beatles, yeah. and then I had a Kiss poster and a record. And yeah. Fucking, you know. One Kiss record? or uh, What did or I have? You, I had so you weren't Rock and the... Roll Over. I had Kiss Alive 2. Well, you, had... you weren't a Kiss Army guy, though, were you? No, no not you really. had a few? I had a couple. And then when was the record where you're like, oh, where is this happening? When was the record delivered to you where you got the record and you're like, holy fuck. That was... Um, this is my life now. You know, honestly, that was the soundtrack to a movie. Which one? Decline of Western Civilization, the punk rock. The punk rock one. The yeah, very yeah, first yeah, yeah, decline. Yeah. That's crazy. I heard the record before I saw the movie. Right. I had the record for years before yeah. I saw the movie. Yeah. And that record changed my life. With just the drive? Just sort of like... Well, I, can't, I, had, a, I, had, I had a cousin yeah. who lived in Evanston, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. And right. we, I grew up in Virginia, and we would go visit them every summer. My cousin Tracy, she's a couple years older than me, mm-hmm. and we showed up one summer to the house, and my aunt was like, Tracy, they're here! And she came downstairs, and she had on fucking Doc Martens. She had... Uh, Plaid fucking skirt? bondage pants. Oh, bondage pants. Yeah. She had shaved like yeah. the skinhead girl yeah, haircut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One side or both sides. Yeah. Uh, she had like the bangs, oh, but yeah, then yeah. with nothing else. Oh, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. And I looked at it. I'd only seen punk rock on Quincy or Chips. Right, and I was right. like, oh my God, look. She's yeah. fucking. And she was like, yeah, come upstairs. And I went to her room and she had this unbelievable record collection things that are worth thousands of dollars. Like the, you know, the first Misfit single. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, um, all these bands from all over the world, and she played me The Decline, which I think had just come out at the time, and she played me um, The Bad Brains and Dead Kennedys and Minor Threat, and uh, and I was listening to this music like, oh my, and she had a band. Yeah. She had a fucking band. Yeah. Tracy was the singer of a band, and the, sing- and the guitar player of her band, Jason, yeah. was my age. Yeah. Actually, I think he was younger than me. Well, how old were you? Thirteen? I was 14? like fucking twelve or something like that. <laughs> so they and were they were it. and they played in clubs and they wrote their own songs <laughs> yeah. and they were fucking punk rock. Yeah. And I was like, oh my god! And then she was giving me these fanzines yeah. from all over the world, and I was just like, fuck all that other shit. Yeah. Fuck that. I I want to do this. <laughs> I don't want a white jumpsuit. No. So I fucking come home. You know, come on out. I come home yeah. and play this shit for my friends. Like you guys, this exists, and they're yeah. all like fuck you this sounds like shit i'm yeah. like no this is amazing you know so real. i had my one other yeah. friend yeah, yeah yeah and uh that's where i realized like okay fuck it i am doing this myself yeah so i started writing songs by myself and about my dog or my teacher or whatever and where were you living springfield virginia yeah and uh and so, so you were the weirdo for sure yeah yeah there was no other. I used to fucking do morning announcements at my school and play like a Black Flag song to start off the fucking thing. <laughs> How long did that last? Well, my mom was the head of the English department, so <laughs> like, yeah. you like, had some pull. Yeah, a little bit of pull. Little, little I knew some people. So when was the first band that really took hold? The first band, 
where we like wrote our own music and shit was this band called Freak Baby. Yeah. And we played at like parties and proms and yeah. crap like that. How many songs did you know? Was you, could you Maybe do a full like set? Eight, yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight, ten songs. Yeah. yeah. That's like a set. And then when did you go uh when did it all sort of lock in? You weren't a drug guy, right? No, I took acid and smoked a bunch of weed. A lot of acid or a few how many times did it take you to stop? You know, I got out before I had a bad one, so I'm okay. <laughs> like, I got out before I absolutely lost my life. The last one was a little weird. I got shocked by a percolator. It didn't. I didn't come down for a couple days. Did you understand electricity like altered in a states. New way? It was a little weird. I was afraid that something was going to happen to me. My DNA zipper was going to just fucking unwind. But You're going to become shocker. Wasn't that the I made thing it. You could feed on electricity. <laughs> yeah, who powder the guy that <laughs> yeah, that's it. channels yeah. lightning. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was. I got out kind of early. Yeah. I didn't do like coke or speed or heroin or any of that shit. Oh, that's good. That was not my trip. Those are the. Uh, Those just are the, a lot of they'll pie. get you. you just kind of. I was more of like a an experienced kind of dude. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, didn't yeah. want to go to sleep, and I didn't want to fucking talk. Right, I right. I just wanted to laugh at everything. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we got to make it, it bad? It worked. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, but so I kind of knew in high school that um, I wasn't going to become the president. So, Did you do well? Or you didn't. Not really. I mean, it was weird because I had. Uh, the high school that I went at this fucking school that I went to mm. and my sister was a senior there and I, all the fucking teachers in the high school, I had yeah. either mowed their lawn or fucking painted their apartment or babysat. What was your kids. mom's name? Virginia. So that's Virginia's boy. Exactly. Oh. That's Dave Grohl. I knew all of them, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so I was the weirdo in high school, but I never got my ass kicked because I just knew everybody. Well, you, you, get, you have a good disposition. I You're a diplomatic like, character. I, that's me. Yeah. Just, maybe I should be the fucking president, <laughs> yeah. but um, no, but I knew, <laughs> You know the jocks, and I knew the fucking. You were, you were like the, the. I was the same way, where you could sort of you, you could exist in all worlds for a minute, and you could navigate. Yeah, right, know? right. Yeah. You didn't want to hang around the jocks too long because it would probably go bad. Yeah, you get yeah, your ass kicked yeah. at a kegger. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. Just enough to make them know that you're a funny guy. Right. And, yeah. yeah. He's okay. Yeah. We don't understand him. Whatever. <laughs> fucking dork. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, right. So, but I sort of knew that, and also music became an obsession with me because. I wasn't taking lessons and I had learned how to do it by myself. There was so much that I didn't understand and I felt like I had to learn how to do it myself. So it was kind of like a Rubik's Cube. You right. know? It was like, okay, um, God, I really want to figure out this one guitar part. So I would you know, take mushrooms and listen to fucking uh, a Zeppelin record and try to figure out the solo to In the Light or whatever. Yeah. You Did know? you do it? Sometimes. <laughs> well, you of course. Exactly. <laughs> I sound amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so um but uh I'm better than Jimmy Page right now. But I kind of also knew yeah. that I mean that was one of the cool things about that punk rock scene in the 80s yeah. was that because you had to do everything yourself it was completely independent of any sort of like corporate structure. It was all the people doing it for themselves. If you wanted to go on tour, you had to book your own tour. If you wanted to fucking and buy your own van. Yeah. If you wanted to make a record, you had to yeah. stuff the sleeves yourself. Right. You had to fucking put them on consignment. And you were proud of store. it. It wasn't like, you know, it was almost sort I mean, of like, you were proud of it. I think you wish that it were easier, but you, of course you were proud because at the end of the day, it's like, I did this. Yeah, but corporate cool. rock sucks, right? Well, of course. I mean, yeah. that was the whole thing. Like, <laughs> you can't tell me what to do. I fucking done it myself. So, um, so, that became like this foundation for the way I looked at life. Yeah. Like, right, well, you can do it yourself. The reward of playing music or the reward of living should just be in itself. You so know? you knew like, that that early? I didn't. 
kind of yeah i mean you know we because my mom was a public school teacher we didn't have shit man i grew up in and a house your smaller than this to, fucking room they weren't together no he's i mean he was in town and he was he's a good dad like yeah. he's a brilliant dude but like you know like i was raised in a in a very uh like lower middle class but uh, smart, upbringing. but 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 decent well, they're people. brilliant fucking people and good people. They were hardworking Midwestern Ohio sons and daughters of steel workers and fucking civic. Oh, so th- so you ended civil up in Virginia engineers. later. Yeah, my dad is a journalist, and so we moved to D.C. right around the time of Watergate. And he worked for Scripps Howard, and he was a PR guy. He wrote speeches for people, and he oh, was really? a campaign so, manager. Like he's a, so the flautist thing didn't stick. You know, it's hard to fucking keep the heat on playing the flute. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> I think because he is a practical and smart guy, he did decided. He ever sort of like just sort of. Did he have flute time? Like, like, well, no. The other thing was that he was such a heavy musician that yeah. he stopped playing the flute because he didn't have six hours a day to practice. So he just. So when I started playing the drums, it was kind of like, you know, don't just call yourself a musician because you play an instrument. Like, you have to fucking kick ass. You got to be badass. Right. And that was a huge inspiration. Like, oh yeah, I guess you're right. Like, when when someone calls, you don't want to, you don't want to like impose on anyone. Right. You don't want to walk in and be like, listen to this song. And yeah, go, yeah. You want to be fucking good, you know. So you you got that work ethic from your father's broken heart. <laughs> yeah, that's where it came from. Thanks, Dad. But no, at the same time, it was like I understood at an early age because I didn't have that. Like, I hate life gen x mentality growing up you don't seem like a dark dude i'm not really that dark i think you you've there might be a little you've, bit you've, you've obviously hung with some fairly dark characters i've i know a few <laughs> i've known a few but you There's know what? one coming over today here's the thing <laughs> yeah my motto in life is it yeah. could be worse yeah you know yeah. i worked at the fucking furniture warehouse and i fucking pushed wheelbarrows of dirt to make a flagstone porch in your backyard and i don't want to do that anymore I right fucking yeah. do this and yeah. so um, but did your dad, did you, did he have this, did you sense that like the, was the flute thing, did it weigh heavy on him or was it just done? You know, we never really talked about oh, really? it that much. I maybe heard Is him he play still around? a few times. Yeah. Yeah. You should talk about it. Yeah. Maybe. But he, but my mom, you know, she, I, we sort of knew early on that like I, we were happy, but we didn't really have much. So in life, like I didn't need, I didn't, I didn't aspire to become the 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 biggest lawyer in Washington D.C. Was she concerned though? No, because I think because my mother had dealt with kids like me for thirty years in the classroom, <laughs> she could pick out which ones were going to make it and which ones weren't in life. Right. Honestly, I right. think you're part of being a teacher. Even the rebellious ones. It's like, well, that one's gone bad, but you I know think who he's her favorite find fucking student was? Who? The guy that sold me acid. She never knew. She's oh. like, you know, the smartest one in class is fucking blah blah blah. <laughs> I'm like, mom, you know he's the one I was buying acid from the whole time. What'd she say? Uh, well, this is years later. Yeah, but she's did like, you... you're kidding. I, I knew it. I knew I it. I knew it, of course. <laughs> right. But, you know, that's the thing is like, um, kids, don't do drugs. Yeah. The thing was that um, she had a pretty gr- good understanding of people yeah. and kids. Yeah. And so she looked at me and realized, you know, I'm not a total idiot. Yeah. There's a little, there's something in there yeah. that's going to keep me from just winding up on Skid Row. So, so um, she was always relatively supportive. Well, you and... know, when it was time to drop out, she was like, "Okay, really, get a job." Right. Because she knew, like, there's she must some, have been there's mad, some though. kids. I mean, was, what's that? She must have been a little mad. 
Yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, you know, yeah. I'm a parent, and yeah. the last thing in the world I want is yeah. for my kid to say, I'm going to leave school, yeah. and I'm going to go on tour with the punk rock band in Europe, and I'm going to send for two months and send you one postcard. Yeah. Like, you don't want your kid to say that, unless you know you have some some faith or some understanding in your child yeah. that, like, God, oh, they might be okay. But yeah, an older sister? I do. And just, there's just the two of you? Just two of us. How yeah. she turned out, all right? She's great. I mean, yeah. she's brilliant, too. She plays music as well, and uh -huh. she taught herself how to do it. And um, she, you know, she she graduated, and she went to college. So she had one good one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's like, well, the, she's, she's the like, well at least I have Lisa. Um, but you know, but that's the thing is like yeah. after college and all of that, mm -hmm. you know what she did? She started a coffee shop and mm -hmm. she had a coffee shop in North Carolina for years. And, you know, and then she went and she worked for Warner Chapel Music for years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she's a Pilates instructor. She's a human being. It's like that was the thing is I yeah. never felt like. I didn't feel like I had you to didn't feel subscribe like you, to that. Right, you didn't feel like you were throwing something away. That, no, that. but I also didn't believe in that conventional root sure, of sure. wisdom or survival. Right, like, right. Really? Because I bet you I could come up with something that could still put food on the table. Right, yeah. The, the I could always like, push know, the wheelbarrow. Right, I could always up, fucking... Uh, get some insurance, you know, live as, you know, protect I mean, yourself. Look, all my friends back in Virginia who I've yeah. known since I was five years old, yeah. dude, I mean, you know, they're, they fucking, they did what I was going to do. They did. They they got a job in town, and they wound up getting married, and they wound up having kids, and they live where we grew up, and that was now, what I was going to do. Wound up getting and I didn't think it was so an hair yeah. that that was the thing that I just thought would happen. Are you close with any of those guys? Absolutely, still. And they're okay, most of them. Fuck yeah. <laughs> you know, some of them died, but you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that. Um, most of them work for me now. <laughs> no, but Wait, you know, you brought him out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got to do that. That's great. Well, that I feel mean, good. You salvaged the board that turned your life around, and you brought your <laughs> friends out here to work for you. You're like a fucking. Sometimes it's, it's like the grow plant, the grow plantation over here. Let's not call it that. <laughs> <laughs> I meant it in a good way. Yeah, they're not obviously not slaves. No. But uh, no, but you're you're. Let's do it. How about the commune? The girl. The co I like that. It's more of a cult. Yeah, 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 cult. But all right. So like, there's something you said at the beginning of the movie that that I found sort of powerful, and it was sort of in passing. That uh, you know, in that, in the opening monologue, the narration where you know you're basically talking about you know committing your life to this dream, right? And knowing that you know that the excitement of you know playing you know different places every night, and also knowing that the people you're playing with may or may not be here. Yeah. tomorrow yes. or whatever but it was sort of like you let it hang there it wasn't like they're going to quit the band but they might just disappear right one way or the other i've had so many friends disappear some of them have died and some of them just gone home yeah i'm done that's how i joined nirvana yeah i was i was with my punk rock band scream yeah and we had a bass player skeeter i love him to death i still we're still friends he working day. here no, <laughs> he's, he's back in DC. Uh, I think he's in jail, actually. But um, anyway, so uh, so he just left, and I mean, we were living on seven dollars a day, and he got a bus ticket home. So we were stuck here. Yeah, me and Pete and Franz. You were out here. We were here. In we LA. were staying with Pete and Franz's sister Sabrina was a mud wrestler at the Hollywood Tropicana. Yeah, and uh, so she lived in this nice house in Laurel Canyon with some other. Mud wrestlers. It could mm -hmm. be worse. Yeah, you know, sure. that's where we got stuck. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so Skeet just left. But you couldn't really argue with him, right? I mean, how was that fight? Well, like, I mean, we were in heaven because we were like right. living the dream. 
We were $7 in a house a full of fucking mud wrestling mud wrestlers for seven dollars a day. It was great, but uh, <laughs> um, and then you know I called a friend and said, "Hey, when you come back down here, we're stuck here because mm-hmm. Skeeter bailed and we got nothing." And he said, "Well." Have you ever heard of Nirvana? They're looking for a drummer. And that's how I joined that band. But, you know, what I was trying to to say in that introduction, in that narration, was that um, that when you're young, you're... And when you're young, you, you still have uh, that, um, that ambition to, like, follow dreams. And it's kind of reckless. And you don't know what's going to happen and next. You don't really think and that's about what's it really exciting. It's, it, yeah, it's right. Like, I mean, what I'm doing. I, you know, when you're young, I think your sense of consequence is maybe less None. formed than yeah, it is yeah, when you're yeah, older. But, yeah. or, you know, for, or forethought. Uh, right. And so, because <laughs> yeah. who gives a fuck? Yeah, yeah. You know right. what? The yeah. fuck tomorrow. Yeah, like, I'm yeah. living yeah, right yeah, now. right now. Out and, of this box. And that's a healthy way to live, yeah. you know? I mean, it's it's a hard way to survive, but right. it's nice to have those moments in life just right. to celebrate right fucking now. Yeah. And, um, and that was the thing. And I think that could apply to every single musician in the movie. When I say we were just kids, but we had these songs and we had these dreams. Yeah. So we threw them all into the back of an old van and just started driving. I bet you John Fogarty could say the same thing. I bet you fucking Lindsey Buckingham could say this. Neil Young Petty. could say the same thing. Everybody could say the well, same I mean, fucking I think, thing. I think Neil said it. Yeah, he was there driving you go. in that car. Oh, dude, there was so fucking there. There was so much shit we couldn't fit into the movie. Can you imagine? Like, what, uh, is it can be on DVD extras or what? There's extras, but I mean, there was there's fifteen hundred hours of interviews. Dude, have with you listened? Everybody. Have you listened to fucking Creedence on vinyl lately? Not on vinyl, dude. I mean, it's, dude, that's yeah. the thing. With, it was another great quote when Jim Scott, the famous engineer, says, yeah. you know what? When you turn it up to 10, yeah. you crank this board, still you know what you get? You get credence, dude. <laughs> and I knew exactly what he meant. I'm like, whoa, really? <laughs> Did they, yeah. That was their board too? No. no. But he oh, yeah. came in and recorded with uh, uh, Carl Perkins and Johnny Cash yeah. and Petty. And um, I ran in, I saw he was on a flight of mine, and it was one of those moments where, he, he, I never know what the fuck to Fogarty? say to people. Yeah, and you know he looked good. He seems to be fairly it's great, dude. Yeah, sounds grounded. Same. Yeah, and good I just said, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I, I love your work. You know, it's one of those like you know, I got you wearing flannel, probably. And he's like, thanks, man. You know, it was just and th- sometimes like, there's part of you that thinks well, I'm not going to say anything. Then then there's part of you that's like I'm going to go make him know who I am. And then there's just a party that's like if I were a dude who does what you know I do what I do anytime someone says. I love your shit. Yeah. It's good. Absolutely. You're never it's, annoying. You never know. That's yeah. the thing is that when you, I mean, hopefully every person, every artist feels that way, that someone will come up and, because some people ask me like, do you get sick of that? Yeah. I'm like, no, it's flattering. <laughs> Why would I get it sick makes of me people feel, saying that they right. like me? <laughs> I'm glad people, I'm glad they don't come up and go, you know what? Your band sucks shit, yeah, man. You can't play. Yeah. Wouldn't that suck? Oh, it's awful. No, it's great. When you can comes get that up. on Twitter if you're diligent. Well, yeah, because they're not in your face and you're not going to put their teeth down their throat. <laughs> right, don't go yeah. to some comment boards. Exactly. Well, one of the, the most touching moments of the movie, really, you know, and I was laughing a lot because I got, you know, I my musical taste spans you know a lot of time right and like even with carl perkins i was like yeah i was as excited as tom petty was you know i love tom petty and uh i love really everyone who was in the movie even rick springfield like who i pretty much dismissed was so um vulnerable and and sort of open about his emotions in relation to the place because he was really their first star 
Yes, he is the first one that they, they had, managed, that, right? that they managed and did the production deal it's, with. It's sort of a heartbreaking story, but when yes. you get into the studio with him to play that song, like you could just tell it's like, I still got it in me. Well, here's the thing is that I think, you know, Rick's story is, Rick Springfield's story is um, different than everyone else's because had that whole general hospital thing not happened, yeah. I think people would have thought thought of him in a different way you know he was as sort a of pop star as opposed to like yeah, well actor, i mean pretty boy i think or... that he was he was sort of um seen as a pop star you know he's a rocker mm-hmm. like deep down that guy's a fucking rocker he was playing and great he sounded great in that dude you should fucking i mean you know we're gonna do these shows do you know about the shows we're doing I, well, we'll talk about the album and the shows okay so but... anyway but when we jammed with him yeah um it was he has the enthusiasm of a 16 year old kid he rips guitar just like any other fucking rocker you've ever met in your life. And when he does it, he does it for real. Yeah. So, you know, because he had these these real pop hits, I think people think that it's in some way, like it doesn't hold as much weight as someone like uh, Petty or Fogarty. But you know what? I don't know if I agree with that because when you listen to the songs that he, Love Is All Right or... Jesse's girl. Um, Jesse's girl. Uh, there's another. Kind of like, it's hard I've to done say. everything for you, dude. That is a buzzcock song. Yeah. Listen to that song. The structure and yeah. the melody and the arrangement. It's a fucking buzzcock song. It's so hard. They to... had different haircuts, right. but it's the same, same fucking drive. music. Yeah. So when you listen to it now, like I swear to God, yeah. if he re-recorded these songs with the Foo Fighters today, you would hear it on K Rock. Yeah. It would be fucking on K Rock. Yeah, yeah, It just yeah. would be. Yeah. And and because it's it's because there's there's it's this. It, as musicians, yeah. what we all do comes from the same place. Might have a different name, might have a different haircut, whatever the fuck, but it all comes from the same place. And so that's what why place? when I talk about from that that it comes from the garage. It yeah. comes from being the kid that bought a guitar at a yard sale. Yeah. It comes from raw being, honesty. It's just, like just it fucking sh- well, it yeah. should be like yeah. that's that's it. And so that's rock and roll. Right. And so it doesn't matter. Like, that's why I don't believe in guilty pleasures. That's why when I hear, like, this new band, Bleeding Rainbows, you heard this fucking Uh band? Uh, They're great, man. And I listen to them, and it's like, you look at them, you're like, oh, they're that kind of band. Yeah. Or you hear this other music, you go, oh, they're that kind of band. It's like, fuck that. Like, why can't you listen to the zombies and listen to Kraftwerk and listen to fucking, you know. Well, sometimes it just comes down to what you were saying before is that, you know, if you don't have that moment with the kimonoed rush, like, you know, you you can listen (laughs) to whatever you want. Right. Exactly. If you listen to whatever you want, and if it doesn't grab you, yeah, close your fucking eyes and use your ears. Close your mind to it. Right. Exactly. I can listen to Kraftwerk a few times and be like, hey, I'm not sure what to do with this music. You know, like, I get it. You know, so the computer. Yeah, sure. I can fuck a computer or I can, you know, pretend I'm a robot, whatever. I'm gonna do right. but but I it didn't really grab me I force myself now there are things that I'm trying to pick up on like you know I've got uh, like yeah, I've been hearing about Captain Beefheart my entire life so right. now I'm sort of like I got it yeah, that's a slippery Buddha. slope yeah you gotta I think you I haven't even gotten there yet dude I'm afraid it's true that's you the know, same like, way I you, felt. it's like you know I remember when I first yeah. listened to Pet Sounds yeah and my friend Matt Sweeney said oh that's a slippery slope dude. Yeah. <laughs> be careful I'm like really I scared me I was afraid what's gonna happen oh no Oh, what do I do? You well, you're going to end up in Brian Wilson's head if you're not exactly careful. like in pajamas right, all yeah. day 
long crying. with a beard. Yeah, yeah. Eating fried chicken you, in bed. That's the weird thing about the, those songs. It's like, oh my God, they're so pretty, but why am I crying? You know, like, <laughs> and with Beefheart, it's like I'm sitting there with these records going, it's in here. The truth is in here. And then all of a sudden you're in this weird place that feels a little wrong and a little dark. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm, I'm you just. You can't get out. I can't get out. Yeah, I'm just kind of parsing it out. I'm just being careful, you know, with it. Yeah. But well, it, I mean, this is. And then there's another uh, great quote in the movie that Brad from Rage Against the Machine said, you know, one of the great things about music is you find an artist that you love and then find out who they loved mm -hmm. and then find out who they loved because the farther back you go in music, right. um, because things were maybe like yeah. more, there were more uh, technical restrictions or yeah. it was a little more simple uh, recording, yeah. you that that human element really does come through. You know, it's also amazing just how much of that search ends up with a black guy sitting on. on oh, on it a always chair. go about yeah. It's, yeah it's, it's, you're not going to wind with, up with, with old strings on a shitty guitar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the guy. It's true. Oh, he started everything. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Where's he now? Oh, there. he died a poor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Working in a with hospital nothing? as a janitor. Yeah. yeah. But uh, all right. So when when um. Oh, the moment that I was talking about, though, was like you got some this record that you're doing that, that goes along with the movie. Right. Uh, to sort of honor, you know, Sound City. Like it was very interesting. You got Stevie Nicks in there and you, you did something and with Rick Springfield, too. You did something that's sort of hard to do is that you were able to let these artists, you know, be who they are now. Yeah. And 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 provided enough comfort in, in the music and enough support for them to sort of like not look like. Like some, you know, like they were trying again, or trying too hard, or, or living on, you know, their their past. Because you right. see some acts that are now in their fifties or whatever, yeah. and they're just trying to churn out their catalog in order to sort of sustain themselves. Right. But there were moments when I was watching Stevie Nicks and Springfield in that in that movie where it's like, yeah, he's really in it, and you know, this is yeah. who this guy is now. But the moment that I was talking about was that when you were when McCartney was in there, it was so wild to watch that because, like, clearly, you know, there wasn't a song prepared. No, and you were just sort of, and he was just sort of riffing, and all you had was it was one chord at the beginning, and then when he said, "Like, dude, all I wanted was my picture taken next to him," right. that would have been enough, right? But the, just the, a Polaroid picture. Well, that was the amazing moment when you were like, you know, I was watching Chris, and he was being Chris, like we were at Nirvana, and I was playing, and uh, and what's his name, Pat? Yeah, Pat was on guitar, and it's like, hey, it's Nirvana. What's Paul McCartney? Paul doing? McCartney's here. <laughs> I know. That well, was such an honest moment, you know. And well, he, you have to imagine that. Um, first of all, Paul is the greatest dude. He's a wonderful person. He totally understands his role in the universe. Yeah, he really does, and he's important in the universe. He is he's very a, important. You know, he's in the he's universe. actually like our universe wouldn't be the way it is if it weren't for Paul McCartney, and that is the absolute <laughs> fucking truth. Yeah. So, I think that he understands that in a very realistic sense. Yeah, he's not egotistical. Yeah, the first thing that Paul will do when you meet him is make you feel like you're okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I know, the last I know it's, thing in the I know world. it's hard for you. Yes, I mean he yeah, obviously I'm, he understands that. I remember reading an interview <laughs> once where it said, where this journalist followed him around yeah. for the fucking afternoon, and you know when he walks into a bakery, everyone goes, like, oh, "Yay!" And yeah. then he goes to the gas station, everyone goes, "Yay!" And whatever, wherever he goes, people are like, "Yeah, it's Paul McCartney," <laughs> and it happens to him every fucking day, everywhere, yeah. every fucking day. Yeah. So the journalist yeah. says, "You understand that." Right, yeah. and Paul McCartney says, "Of course, it's one of the great luxuries of my life. Everywhere I go, people are happy. Can you imagine? 
But I mean, fortunately, in yeah. return, we have the Beatles, yeah. we have Wings, yeah. we have his beautiful music. But I mean, the thing about uh, playing music with Paul, to me personally, is that because he is the foundation, the Beatles are the foundation of my musical being my th- fabric of my musical you person and, and my knowledge that exactly and that when i sit down and mm-hmm. i jam with him that i don't i don't forget that that's not lost mm-hmm. like i know that that person is responsible for me playing music it's fucking him and that board is responsible for you being so a rock star. so that day yeah in the studio, mm-hmm. I've, I'm sharing this with Chris Novoselic and Pat Smear, and Paul is there. Like, I was thinking about that the entire time. Yeah. So, I mean, it Circle was like... Of life. I, it was It's like your life flashing before your eyes all day, and you don't die. It was fucking <laughs> incredible. And it's on a fucking movie. Yeah. And so... And, and on a record. record. And, and you did it through that board. Right there. I mean, we did it right there in that room, and right that there in that board. And so, to me... That's the thing that a lot of people um, don't get to see or or understand in music is what goes on behind the performer. But yeah, but also and the like vulnerability when, of when, a performer. When Butch is like, you know, there was that great line. It's like, yeah, oh yeah, Butch Vig's going to tell Paul McCartney. You want Paul to do goes, it? so we'll just try it, and you let us know what you think. And I go, yeah, Butch, just tell Paul McCartney what to do. <laughs> because I mean. But can you imagine? But what, what That's why that? Butch is so great, by the way. Because but, and he did the first, the, the big Nirvana record. Yeah, yeah, he did. Never mind. So, but that moment where Paul says, "You know, what if we, you know, we, you, you guys decide to do the chord change, right? And you elevate it, right? And then Paul does that fucking Hey Jude thing where he's like, let 'Let's take it one more, yeah, up.' And it's like that's why he's Paul McCartney, dude. At one point, we were sitting right here on the couch, yeah. And Paul goes, he says, uh, he goes, "Hey, go in there and um, and just double what I've sang." Yeah. Just sing over what I sang. And I go, okay, you want me to sing a harmony over it or just double what you've done? He goes, no, 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 just double what I've done. Me and Lennon used to do it all the time. It sounds great. <laughs> I was like, are you fucking kidding? Who am I? Who, who, who am I you right won. now? You won. So, <laughs> I Honestly, yeah. if, if it were just that moment yeah. and there were no album and there were no movie yeah. and there yeah. was no board, <laughs> any of that shit, yeah. I would, I would <laughs> die a happy <laughs> fucking man, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, like when, like when all this stuff is happening, I mean, do you ever like, I mean, cause I, I see that you have a, a lot of emotion and respect for, 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 for where you are and how you got here and for the people that are responsible for that. Do you ever miss Kurt? Absolutely. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get choked up. It's hard, still sort of hard to talk about, but if you can imagine like all of the great things to look forward to, that's what the Foo Fighters is to me. Like it's, you know, um, to me when Nirvana was over, it's like, Oh God, am I over too? Like, what do I do with my life? Fuck music. Like, what am I supposed to do? So I sort of realized then, like, oh, right. Music is what's going to help me get through stuff. And it did. But if you think about, like, look at how fucking amazing this experience has been. So even in on your worst day, on your darkest day, you have to imagine that these things are still possible and you know of course like yeah yeah, i think about it like god fuck that that sucks you know so yeah 
Yeah, and like you know, and just the, the frankness w- with which you talk about the process of of the risk of rock and roll and the type of personalities that were in it, yeah. you know. And I I sometimes try to you know get a sense of of people with uh, who who were around people that you know shined that brightly, but were yeah. clearly in trouble. Um, I mean, you know, for was there like an active concern, you know, during the you know during your time in Nirvana for him in that way? Yeah, there was. Everybody, um, everybody was concerned at one point or another yeah i mean you can't imagine the worst case scenario it's hard to imagine that the worst case scenario is actually a possibility um but you didn't see it ending like that did you no i don't think anybody ever did um but uh at the same time it's like god we were young yeah and it was such a weird world in those two and a half years really it wasn't long it was from 1991 to 1994 yeah and we were kids basically yeah and we were caught in this crazy world and um there were times where i would just back out of it i mean being the drummer it's like nobody'd recognize i could walk in the front door of a nirvana gig and fucking no one would know who i was right my hair was in my face i yeah. played drums that were bigger than i was and yeah then i you was were just arms. Yeah, i was a fucking drummer you yeah know? so fortunately i was um able to live this um this perfectly comfortable existence outside of the band. Yeah. I could do that for a lot of reasons. I could do that because of uh, my childhood and because of my parents and because of my connection to music. You know, my connection to music doesn't come from a dark place. It comes from the love of life and the love of music. So I fortunately had all of those things on my side. You're grounded. In, in a way, and in, 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 you weren't vulnerable. I still spent too much money and fucked too many chicks, but you know, yeah, but like, that's part of the life, thing. I guess. <laughs> but you know, but you know, uh, so that was my saving grace. Yeah, and um, and I think that's without that, it might have been a different story for me. You know, I yeah. might have gone the other way. Yeah, yeah, I might yeah. not have survived. You know, that's the coolest thing when I see. A lot of these musicians, like when you go and you see the Stones or yeah. you see Paul or you see Pearl Jam. Yeah. I mean, Pearl Jam's a great example. I look at them, I'm like, wow, they survived. Yeah. Fucking A. Yeah. They fucking made it. Yeah. I'm sure the guys from Warrant look at Bon Jovi and say, wow, he survived. He how fucking, did that happen? I yeah. don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how did he get through? It's like, well, you had the, some pretty beat the up. eye of the needle. Right, but you had some pretty beat up dudes in there for this record. I mean, right. And, and they and were the, great. They survived. I mean, and the I dude mean, from Fear, what's his name? Leaving. Lee. Dude. When, that was another one of those moments where you showed the old footage of Fear and they were fucking great. Of course. And then, like, you know, you sort of pushed him to do what he does, but now. Yeah. You know, and it was right there. Dude, that's the, th- I mean, honestly, it, I think that if you begin from that place, from where you are now, if you begin from that place that is real, yeah. then you'll end up there too. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. like it should be that way. If I'm sure that if someone stands in line for eight hours at a convention center and then they get a, on the TV show and then they win the record deal and then they make a record and then they, they fucking get dropped, they're like, well, that's not fair. Yeah. Of course, starting from a different place, might they might end up in a different place. <laughs> right, right, right. Go to the fucking yard sale, buy a fucking guitar, start a band with your fucking friends, get in the garage and fucking suck, 
and work on it until you fucking make great music and become the biggest band in the world. And when you become the biggest band in the world, you'd be like, God damn, wasn't the garage fun? Yeah. <laughs> Can we go back there? Let's build the garage. Exactly. <laughs> we build a garage Fuck in the back these stadiums. Like, <laughs> Remember the garage? <laughs> Let's yeah. tour with the garage. Exactly. Thanks, Dave. So in the okay, so the record is called Sound City. Oh, so it's both the same name. I think. I'm not a businessman. I don't even know. I'll do some research. I think it's Sound City. All right. And you know, the movie, it comes out February 1st, and the record will be out in the middle of March, and yeah. we're doing all these shows. Oh, yeah. Tell me about oh, those shows. So, um, so I had this, I had another idea yeah. that besides, okay, so you tell the story of Sound City. Yeah. But then you also make a record. Right. But then you got to do some fucking gigs. Yeah, so yeah. I've invited all of the people from the movie not only back to make the record, but to come and do some gigs, who are, too. Uh, who is everybody? Well, you've got, on the record, you have Paul McCartney, Trent Reznor, Alain Johannes, Josh Homme, Chris Goss, Rick Springfield, Lee Ving, uh, the guys from Rage Against the Machine, Timmy and Brad from Rage Against the Machine, uh, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, um, I hope I'm not leaving anyone out, Rick Springfield. Mm -hmm. And so I Stevie basically, Nicks. Stevie Nicks, I blasted everybody emails and said, hey, we at least have to put take the show on the road and do some gigs. Who's in? Uh, almost everybody. Everybody at some point. It sounds like a festival. Every single person. And weekend. then even Fogarty, too. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, so what we want to do is we want to have a premiere, and then that night at a, at a theater downtown do a gig where we not only play the songs from the soundtrack, but some catalog songs from each person. Oh, that's fucking be so, awesome. That yeah. sounds like a two-night thing, though. You, wait till you... Wait till you see the fucking list of songs we have to learn this week. All right. Yeah. All right. Thanks for talking, man. Okay, bye. Okay, that's it. I hope you enjoyed that. Go see that movie, Sound City. Uh, it's great. It's, you know, and I'm, and I'm not getting paid to say that, but it is great. And also go to matadorrecords.com, pick up that Yola Tango vinyl. Or, or or mp3 download and get all the special stuff there go to wtfpod.com for all your wtf pod needs the tour is happening so you can go look at my calendar over there you can kick in a few shekels you can get the app you can upgrade to the premium app you can leave a comment you can buy some merch you can look into our server Lipson. uh we, we got a deal over there for that got some new posters coming holy fuck i am running out of steam you hear me? Out of steam, my friends. That's right. Let's try that again to go out on, to go out on. I was a little off. Okay, so I'm a comedian. Boomer lives!